The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. Uh, Nate is in the studio, but instead of being joined by Chris Poots, I have two friends in here with me. I have uh, Corey McKenna, who's been on here before, and uh, Calvin Smith, who hasn't, but has been a friend and uh, lent us Patricia Engler uh, just a few weeks ago. So, hey guys, how's it going? It's going great. great. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah. So, um, before we jump into even Rebel News or any of our topics for today, why don't you guys just take a second? Corey, you've been on the show before. Um, just remind the people who you are, what you do, and uh, what ministries you're a part of. Yeah, Corey McKenna, and uh, served for about 17 years as a local church pastor and a pastor of evangelism and discipleship. But uh, throughout that time, started the Cross Current, uh, which is really a local missions ministry um, that equips the church by example to what we call normalize sharing the gospel in all your personal and community relationships. So really, we're a ministry that equips the church by example to share Jesus. And uh, just kind of following you on social media and following the cross current, you've been all over the place recently. So you're, the idea is kind of getting into different churches each weekend. You guys, you, you preach and then you do evangelism training there and seminars. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right, Nate. Um, and, you know, you wish it were different. In one sense, it's good for me to be all over the place. In another sense, it really paints a picture, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, and so we're talking literally across the evangelical spectrum. I remember in September, uh, Presbyterian Pentecostal churches, Baptist churches, all in one month, Alliance churches. So we're very thankful for the opportunity, but the church needs to come together yeah. and preach Christ. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Amen. So Calvin, yes. um, so you are with uh, Answers in Genesis Canada, that's and right. that's, uh, that's been a recent transition for you, but uh, you kind of hit the ground running, and there's a lot of great stuff coming out. So why don't you tell people uh, about your role there and what you guys are up to? Absolutely. Yeah, I've been doing itinerant preaching, teaching across Canada for almost 18 years now, and uh, primarily in the area of origins, creation, evolution, that type of thing. And so two years ago, we actually launched Answers in Genesis Canada. And we kind of shot out of the gates. It's been quite the wild ride, but it's been fantastic. And the Lord has just done amazing things. You know, we're not even quite two years old here yet. But uh, for those who don't know the ministry, they probably heard of the Ark Encounter, the life-size Noah's Ark that uh, Answers in Genesis U.S. has built, or perhaps the Creation Museum. Yep. I'm finding for a lot of Canadians, it's kind of like the blind man and the elephant. You know, I talk to different people <laughs> about Answers in Genesis. Some people say, oh, that's a VBS. We did a VBS. It was AIG or... or uh, I heard this uh, crazy Australian guy named Ken Cam speak, you know, or, or, oh yeah, we did this answers Bible curriculum. It was, so it, it, I think for most people, they just don't understand the comprehensive nature perhaps right. of, of the ministry. But myself, I'm the executive director here in Canada. And the whole goal of the ministry really is to fulfill first Peter three fifteen to help Christians have answers for the reason for the hope that they have, which is faith in Christ and belief in the authority of the word of God and uh, proclaim the, you know, the gospel boldly. So, um, yeah, we do that through, uh, conferences through all of the different resources we have and uh, and I'm the ED here in Canada and pretty excited about getting the ministry launched and, and getting going here in Canada. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to have you guys both in the studio today. Uh, it sounds like the start of a bad joke, right? Like a pastor, an evangelist, and an apologist walk into a studio. <laughs> or a good joke. It, yeah, it, or a good joke. Yeah, yeah that's why. <laughs> either or. Um, but before we kind of get into, and really what I want to do is just because of our differing perspectives, but all of our love to see, um, or our desire, I should say, to see uh, the name of Christ uh, lifted high in mm. this culture and specifically in our neck of the woods. Um, before we get to kind of just talking through the culture a little bit, we always kind of start with a news item. So I have an interesting one for you. So it's Christmas time, which means a lot of churches are decorating for Christmas. The Christmas mm -hmm. trees are going up. Quick question. Are you guys stars or angel guys? What goes on the top of your tree? I'm uh, a star guy for sure. Star guy? Yeah. 
I think Angela's got an angel up there. She always does the decorating. I just sit back and yeah, terrible give way a to start an interview, Nate. Yeah, that's sorry. yeah. So we're already just, at yeah, yeah, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not pointing my wife yeah, to this interview. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, we so cr- churches are getting their nativity stuff out, and there's a there's a particular United Church, and uh, I, I could do air quotes, but that's not good radio um, in California. That their nativity scene is uh, set to look like. Um, Kind of uh, what you'd see in uh, at it's it's the it's a picture that liberals like to paint of what it looks like at the Mexican border. Okay, so okay. you have uh, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus all in separate cages, separated. Oh, okay. And uh, this church is trying to make the political statement, right? You, there was a it's still going on in the news, but there's impeachment trials and all that kind of stuff that's uh, garnering a lot more attention these days. But uh, there was this whole villainization of the uh, immigration policies of the U.S. president. And uh, how he's separating families and all that kind of stuff. So, first of all, before we talk about the political ramifications Mm -hmm. of this, you go to a church and the church is trying to make a political statement through its nativity scene that is getting put out. How should we think through this? What, What are your thoughts on that? Wow, I mean, I believe that we're all submitted to scriptural authority. There, there's, there's so many angles that we could take with this. I think the first, the first angle I would address to the secular world is just the, the whole issue of right and wrong fundamentally, foundationally, is they don't have a platform really to, to make those claims at all. And we know that presuppositionally. I know, Nate, you've got into that a lot. Uh, I also believe that uh, it's going to be a great bridged for, for, uh, for answers in Genesis, because where do we reconcile the issue of racism and, and why are certain things right and wrong? Well, because God, uh, God has declared uh, from the beginning, uh, that we have one blood and all those types of things. So there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff we could get into there, but I, I just thought, boy, wow, United Church in California is the perfect storm for a liberal Tell discussion. What, what country is that again? Yeah. Yeah. yeah wow. Well, yeah. um, <laughs> but how do we think through this? I think we have to start from scripture and, and really as Christians, first and foremost, we have to understand all these sort of moving parts of of the unbeliever and the fate of the unbeliever and the God of this age has blinded the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. So I think we should be uh, pretty surprised when an unbeliever gets anything right, frankly, because Mm. of just their, their standing before God. But I think that particular issue... Oh my goodness. There's so many ways. I'd like to hear Cal weigh in on it because I just believe that we need to start from the Bible and, and let's just break down. Uh, I love how Patricia actually did that on your program. Just kind of break down some of the key topics that relate to this issue concerning freedom, concerning racism, concerning borders, all those things. Right. Well, I, the way I would look at it is this. You've, you're a church. Okay, you're declaring yourself a Christian church. What's the primary message? To share the gospel, right? And so here you've got the um, the focal point event of the year, Christmas, yep. right? The coming Messiah. And what are they doing with that opportunity? They're making a political point. Now, whatever your political view happens to be, why did you prioritize that over the, the opportunity to use this, you know, this event in history, Christ has come, born of a virgin, that this message, you know, peace to all men and, and so on, and use this as a time to make some kind of political statement. It just shows again, in my mind, how many churches are just off the the topic of biblical authority yeah. and the proclamation of the gospel. Um, so it's it's just to me, it's kind of silly, to be honest. Yeah, it's uh, the it, it's sad to see, I guess. Jesus used as a prop, mm-hmm. right, to to make a political statement, and uh, and it's I mean it's not the first time, and and so I guess maybe the larger discussion here, one of many that you know you could go a lot of different ways with it, but um, is a lot of times we see um, the Bible or the story of Jesus weaponized in this way. Um, I remember it was a couple of years ago when uh, a U.S. politician uh, who was talking about. Um, policies around homelessness um, talked about Mary and Joseph. Well, Christmas is the time where we celebrate a homeless child being born, right? And 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 like, there's a whole lot of ways in which we kind of misread the story or just use enough of this is every every. Yeah, I think I've heard you say this, Corey. Every non-Christian's favorite Bible verse is "Judge not, lest you be judged." Right? Sure. Like, yeah. This this yeah. idea that it's framing is what it is. Yeah. Right? This this idea that um, non-Christians are using the Bible to weaponize against those who would hold a biblical worldview as if that's somehow going to convince them to come over to their side. Mm-hmm. What do you, what are your thoughts on on the sort of unbelievers use of the Bible against us and and how should we combat that? Well, it it, it touches me as a bit ironic that they're 
I mean, that would presuppose the Bible's true, and so they're using it against the Christian. I do think that, to Cal's point, was a really good point. I think, I think we have to be very careful when we're approached with these social issues that, that we think Christianly, to quote Greg Bonson about those things. So we, we sort of have a, a family chat about how do we perceive this, first and foremost. But dealing with the outside world who are dead in sin, who are without hope, um, the God of the sages, again, has blinded the, the mind of the unbelievers. They're actually in bondage to, 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 to fear by the devil. It's just a really bleak outlook. I think we have to reach out with compassion to those mm. folks, right, and, and view it that way. But, but it, just in, in terms of uh, the unbeliever using the Bible, um, we have to, we have to. It has to call into question their their basis for truth and reality fundamentally. Right? Why the Bible? Obviously, they have. There's there's something about them that understands God's word is is supreme and those types of things. So I think we have to have a, a, a deeper discussion with them. And I believe that's best in conversation with people. I think it's very, it's a very dangerous game to play the whole social media mudslinging thing. And I'm going to yeah. post this and you're going to post that. And, and I'm going to post this. You're gonna, I think if we would actually somehow set up a, an opportunity to, to discuss this with people, I think we'll get more traction that way. But That's actually a great segue because w- what I wanted to really talk to you guys about, because I feel like the three of us could get into a room and talk about any number of things for uh, a, lo- a lot longer than uh, we have today. But uh, what I kind of wanted to talk about is 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 that exact I- idea that the culture seems to be going crazy right now. Right. We, we live in uh, we live in a culture that has uh, completely rejected um, the creation narrative of the Bible. We live in a culture, you know, it's that it's that Isaiah seven world, you know, uh, woe to those who call darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who call bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter up for down. And uh, we really live in that culture right now. Right. Boys can become girls. Girls can become boys. There there just seems to be this utter craziness to the point where even a nativity scene is being weaponized to and Jesus is being used as a political prop. And uh, and what you said, Corey, really kind of. Um, sunk in a little bit when you said we have to deal with compassion because we think about the culture and how it stands before God. The the verse that comes to my mind is when Jonah is described or when God is describing to Jonah the state of the people in Nineveh. Right, there are over a hundred thousand people there who don't know their right hand from their left. Right, like what a what a bleak picture that is. So in this crazy world, in this crazy society, this culture that we live in, how do we guard ourselves from being those people who are just slinging mud on social media? Because the, the culture is so divided politically and ideologically and ethically. Um, how do Christians navigate that in a way that honors Christ? Well, you know, speaking to this mudslinging on social media, it drives me absolutely crazy when I, you know, load up Facebook and I see, you know, a, a, a brother or sister in Christ and they've they've taken their favorite, you know, uh, theological view and they post some meme, which is, you know, abrasive and they throw it out there knowing what's going to, I call them Christian trolls because that's exactly what they are. Right. They're trolling. They're looking to engage people. And who are they looking to engage? Other brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm looking at this thread and I, I, I scan it down. I'm like, wow, this has been three hours. These people have been doing it. Hmm. Now they're not sharing the gospel. They're not engaging with non-believers. They're engaging with fellow Christians because they're speaking the same language, but they, they, they you know, they want to have this battle back and forth about their favorite, you know, view of end times or whatever the, the deal is. Why aren't they engaging the culture? In my estimation, after preaching and teaching in Canada for almost 20 years now, when I'm going to speak to a group of pastors and I say to them, would you agree with me that the vast majority of the people in your congregation simply do not share the gospel? They go, yep. Okay, so let's break that down because we can talk about what the world's doing until the cows come home. We know why, the, but the, is the church in Canada growing? Nope. I wonder why, if the gospel's not being proclaimed, then the church isn't growing. I mean, there seems to be a direct correlation there, gentlemen. So, so that sounds what, crazy. That Cal. sounds crazy. I know. Yeah, say that again. Yeah. Slower. <laughs> So, you know, people have all this time to go and and shout out their Christian friends on social media, but they're not sharing the gospel. Why is that? Well, I would say this. If you announce yourself as a Christian in the culture today, you're likely going to get attacked on social issues. Some of the things you've mentioned. So whether it's, you know, uh, traditional marriage or traditional gender issues or uh, why we believe in the sanctity of life versus the abortion issue or euthanasia or whatever like this. And the only way to defend those issues is to follow Christ's example. So, for example, when Christ was challenged on marriage, what did he quote? 
Genesis, Genesis. one twenty seven. God created male and female, and the two become one flesh for this reason that, you know, a man joins with his wife. So if we're going to follow Christ's example, then we would do what he did. He quoted Genesis as literal history, okay, as plainly written. He's our example. Well, you've got many Bible colleges and seminaries, and you've got Christian authors and, you know, great people of the faith. But when it comes to Genesis, ah, you don't have to take Genesis. Or literally, you can believe this. You can believe that. It doesn't have to be a real historical narrative. You've got the gap theory. You've got day age theory. You've got all these kinds of things. And all of that has now set up the Christian church and neutered the church from sharing the gospel because most people they don't want to say or they either don't believe it themselves or they don't want to say well yeah i actually believe genesis is real history because in behind that statement will come this oh really so what about the ape men and how do you explain carbon dating and where do dinosaurs fit into biblical history and how do you explain all the different races and you don't believe in a talking snake and ha 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 and most christians can't answer those questions Hmm. and so they're shut down on two levels And I'll tell you that the two groups of pastors, I've done a couple of, you know, pastors breakfasts over the last, uh, last couple of months. And when I share that, you know, share that message, you can just see them contemplating and going, that's exactly what's happening. They, They get it. The church has been neutered because the enemy has basically cut the Christian church's authority in Genesis off at the knees. People aren't standing firm on that. And then how do you deal with something like the gender issue if you do not do what Christ did? And I'll tell you, you want, you want to talk, I have an, a topical news item. Answers in Genesis just covered this. A medical doctor in the, in the UK, practicing for 26 years, he's a Christian. In the secular news article, we quoted, he was brought into his, uh, his um, what was overseers, whatever, uh, office. And the guy Jedi said- Jedi Council. Jedi Council, something like that. And the guy said- if a man comes in here, six feet tall, has a beard, and he asked to be called a woman, would you, do, would you do that? He said, no, I couldn't because of my Christian beliefs. They fired him. Wow. And in the court case that we quoted from the article we, we reported on, the judge quoted Genesis 127 as being against human dignity. The Bible itself in a court in the UK was quoted as being against human dignity. That's where we're going. So wow. if people don't start sharing the gospel... And, and uh, you know, standing on the authority of the Bible, like the UK is just, you know, what, 10 years down the road from where we are? Right. You know, and yeah, they're down to 4% from the UK church. to California to Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, We're like to, to sort of teach in tandem with what Cal just said. So that's the heart of an apologist as an evangelist. Um, you know, we, we teach folks, Nate, that life is most fruitfully lived in the big picture. And, uh, you know, that, that eternal perspective and the cultural perspective, I think we need to respond in the big picture. The toughest answers are responded to best in the big picture. And you ask the question, why is the world going? So what was your crazy or not, sir? Uh, I would, I would, I would sort of reangle that prism and say the world's getting more consistent. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm reading here from Romans 1. I mean, God's got this. Uh, this is sort of the, the summary of the human condition. Shouldn't really surprise us. For this reason, the Bible says, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And for this reason, God gave them up. It says before that, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor. Their... God gave them up. It, it would seem as though in the big picture, God is restraining less evil from culture and society. Uh, we would hope that that would motivate people by the spirit of God to turn to him, mm. to repent of their sin when they hear the gospel uh, and the hope, there's the word, the hope of Jesus Christ. But we see this, this giving up of people and people are just getting more consistently God hating. Yeah. And now, of course, they also have all the the mechanisms around them to reinforce that it's the evolutionary worldview it's the school system all of these uh, all of these tools only contribute to this big problem that they don't want God in the first place. So the gospel breaks through we hope it shines the light of the gospel the glory of Christ the image of God yep. but it seems as though, and just a little little book plug here, one or two by Peter Jones, if you haven't read it, you need to, a uh, really great perspective theologically on yeah. what's going on here. But I say yes and amen to everything Cal said. I think that's really the granular kind of, kind of uh, explanation of things. But in the big picture, people are getting consistent. And it's scary. A consistent that's, Christian yeah, shares the gospel. A consistent non-Christian attacks Jesus. Yeah. 
That's 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 good. that's good. So just I just want to say that again slowly. You know, I want to say that again slowly <laughs> sure. for our listeners because I think that I think that's a, a very good point. So the world isn't getting crazier. The world is getting more consistent, and that's a scary thought because uh, you know we we see throughout Scripture that God restrains evil sometimes, and He unleashes evil at times. Right, uh, pulls back His restrictions. Sovereignly so, He does. Sovereignly so, and. Um, and so we're living in a time when um, he's restraining less evil and we're seeing people live out their God-hating worldviews. And I think, and so I'll, I'll throw this back to Cal because I think this is right in your wheelhouse. <clears throat> this seems to be Darwinian evolution played out, right? Like, so when we look at the amount of babies being aborted in the womb, this, this, this sort of um, ideology that um, is subject to makes myself the center of the universe and how I feel in any particular moment. It, it's all kind of Darwinian evolution played out. So when you say that um, the, the church has lost its ability to believe and to defend um, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, it seems like if the, if the church abandons that, then the culture recognizes we've abandoned that and recognizes that we don't actually have the tools to fight their worldview. Does that make sense to you? Is that, well, is that kind of what you're seeing in your ministry? Absolutely. You know, last year when the ministry launched, um, I was asked to speak at a, well, not speak. Actually, I was just <laughs> sitting behind a, a, a table at a, at a pastor's conference, major um, denomination here in Canada, hundreds of pastors attending. And so Answers in Genesis, you know, not being as well known, pastors would come by and they'd oh, so what, what's Answers in Genesis? What do you do? I said, apologetics. Oh, yeah. You know what? So finally, this one fellow, he's like, so what do you do? And I said, okay, here's what we do. Uh, pastor, pretend I'm a 15 year old. Uh, I'm in your youth group at church. And I walk up to you and I say, so pastor, how do you explain dinosaurs in the Bible? He goes, oh, oh, okay. I said, no, no, no. Go ahead. Role play with me. Go ahead. Answer the question. Uh, I said, that's what we do. We answer the questions that aren't being answered in the churches. Mm. So you want to talk about Paul's missionary journeys and you want to talk about Jesus feeding the 5,000. You want to talk about baby Jesus. You want to talk about all these things. That's fantastic. What the enemy's done very effectively is cut most Christians off at the knees and said, look, you can't trust the Bible back here in, in Genesis. Even my Bible professor says you don't have to take Genesis as plainly written. Yeah. And so now what, what are you standing on as, as, as a bedrock, as a foundation? If all Christian doctrines directly or indirectly are founded in the book of Genesis and they are, mm -hmm. then what, what, by what means do you mount a, uh, a proclamation of the gospel, the wages of sin is death. If there was billions of years of death and suffering before Adam sinned, and that's what the evolutionary storytelling would say, if you want to incorporate that into the to the, to the Bible. And how do you answer questions like, well, you know, how come there's so much death and suffering in the world if you've got such a loving God? The number one philosophical question. You've you've been hamstrung yeah. from 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 the world. So again, I mean, we can talk about how consistent the world's getting. Forget what the world's doing. What about what the Christian Church is doing? Hmm. Because the gospel isn't being shared effectively and I mean that speaks to, to Corey's wheelhouse but if 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 pastors I, I have not had one pastor uh, counter me on on that statement and say no 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 my my people are sharing the gospel I haven't had one of them say it they would all agree with me that the vast majority of their people simply don't share the gospel on the regular basis yeah, why Cal, why is that Cal said something when he he had asked uh, do, do you agree pastor that that very very few of your people are sharing the gospel and the pastor I guess said yes. Is that right? Any, anyone have said that to my next question to that pastor is, are you, are you, yeah. because, um, Nate, you're a pastor. Yep. Teachers will be judged more strictly. What does that mean? Break I, that out real quick. Well, exegete I, that. Yeah. So, uh, I think, uh, it's to, to whom much is, uh, entrusted, right? It's, uh, it's the parable of the talents, right? Some people are given 10, some people are given one, some people are given three. And I think pastors are given more responsibility in terms of how they handle the word of God, the text. So I think it's not only our handling of the text and our exegeting uh, scripture on Sunday mornings, but I think it goes right down to our lifestyle, how we, what kind of husbands we are, what kind of fathers we are. The, the man who mentored me, I remember one time saying um, that he has absolutely, he's like, 
you know, God will give you grace. God will give you patience for the the people who come in for counseling in areas like don't be afraid that you're going to say, man, you're an idiot because God gives you grace and sympathy and compassion. He's like, but one one uh, thing I've never grown compassion for is the the pastor who has an affair because he has no excuse. He sees the mm. devastation it, it wreaks. So all that to say, I think uh, pastors are held to a higher standard because they've been entrusted with more in terms of the keys of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I think discipleship, certainly the idea of a learner is is demonstrative. Yeah. I mean, my life verse, if everyone has a life verse, First uh, Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I like NIV's translation, uh, follow my example, yep. as I follow the example of Christ. But I appreciate Cal's compliment of me and that that's great. I mean, yes, I do share Jesus, maybe more than the average person, maybe not as much as some others. But, um, but I would sort of bounce that back. You know, we do worldview camps together and it involves, you know, training young people uh, to, uh, to give it a, uh, an answer for their faith. But then we actually take them out and mm-hmm. we help them share the good news yeah. and we demonstrate the power yeah. of God's word firsthand for them. My we, favorite We had picture. a couple uh, young guys at the Ezra Institute and they said um, that that was their favorite, that was their, the, <laughs> the part of the worldview training week that they were least looking forward to, mm-hmm. but that they found most rewarding Absolutely. once it was done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what's amazing is it's probably the first time they've ever seen it. Absolutely. Now, yeah. if you're 18 years old and it's the first time you've ever seen it, Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. If, 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 if biblical families and biblical churches were really being biblical, this would be something they'd seen before. Yeah. And so, so my favorite picture of the last camp was when Cal was sitting with a group of, I want to say they were Jehovah's Witnesses. They, they had were, a little yep. station set up and here, <laughs> they, here he is. He, he's not, he's not back studying his notes for the next session at the, at the camp. He's out with them. Yeah. That was infinitely more impactful than anything I brought to the camp. Mm. I can't say this strongly enough. When we train churches, pastor, are you going to be there? Yeah. If the answer is no, I don't know what you think I'm going to bring because I'm going to come and wow them with all my you know Jedi mind tricks and then I'm going to leave, <laughs> but you stay here. Yeah. And it's the demonstration of the Spirit's power through the worshiping church that people need to see. And so apologetics is not immune to what I just said. We need we need example of people faithfully giving an answer for their hope. We, we need an example of dads being dads. We need an example of pastors faithfully preaching the gospel. We need to see these things because that's the, that's the ministry of Jesus and, and what he modeled for us. I don't think that's complicated, but wow, wow. I mean, arguably, Cal and I should be unemployed with these two ministries yeah. if the church was being biblical, but it's not. And I, I'll admit that, and I'm sure you'll admit that, that I was a pastor 17 years. What drove me to the edge was I had never been equipped by example. I was teaching evangelism. I was preaching evangelism and apologetics, but I had no clue how to get that done myself. And God graciously brought a group who showed me mm-hmm. and then, you know, and, and here I am. So praise God. Well, that's the, uh, even as you were saying that, Cal, and you're, you're, you know, saying to these pastors, um, you know, is anybody sharing the gospel? I'm just thinking of the verse in Luke uh, where it says, you know, a student when fully trained will be like his teacher. Right? Who's teaching that congregation and what are they teaching that congregation if this is the state of a lot of our churches? And I say that as a pastor who knows he doesn't share the gospel nearly as much as I ought to. And I, so I guess my next question would be, okay, we live in this culture where we just said completely rejected um, the foundations of the gospel, right? Rejected Genesis. And um, what does it look like? Because it's easy to say, okay, we should share the gospel, but what does that look like? I mean, Corey, you do open air preaching, and I would wager that you would say that that's not what personal evangelism with your uh, parents ought to look like. <laughs> well, <laughs> not not ideally. That that said, though, we we have this little unwritten rule that that if you're open air preaching, if you're preaching the gospel in the open air, the attitude with which you're doing so should be consistent when you step down from the soapbox and continue the conversation. Hmm. If you're someone on the soapbox that you're not face to face, you're probably offside. Maybe that's oversimplifying, but we believe that yes, we want to plead for people, uh, plead, uh, plead, uh, plead um, the gospel and share Jesus. But for sure, the the um, sort of the tactics or the strategy or the uh, you know the way that we share the gospel over a cup of coffee would be different than a street corner. That's absolutely true. Um, but conversationally. We think that sincerely people have to have a, a sort of a longer term approach to this discipline. Uh, we, we would say sow the seed quickly, 
illustratively water the seed for as long as it takes. Uh, I'm not endorsing friendship evangelism. Most time it's neither. It's neither evangelism <laughs> nor is it friendship because you're waiting too long. But, um, but we would say, sit down, have a cup of coffee, share your gospel testimonial. So when we do our training, we, we have it sort of lands on, on, on three steps to a you know, a framework, it's not a formula, but a framework that we suggest based on my experience, it's been fruitful over the years. And it, it's basically, um, tell the story of the, of the, the Bible, the, the, the whole meta narrative, teach the gospel, teach your gospel testimonial within the context of that story, and then take the time, how much time, as long as it takes. Right. But let's just all agree that your neighbors who do not worship Christ are not almost Christian. Hmm. They're lost. And yeah. we live in a Greek society that that lacks the narrative, so it's a very confusing message for them if we don't start from the start. Yeah, I think a lot of us, a lot of uh, Christians, particularly, I mean, Christians who have grown up in the church, we have this idea that most people in North America, most people in Southwestern Ontario, know the the story of the gospel, and so there's there's this almost tentative, you know, apprehension, you know. I, they already know that. They already know that. So I'm just going to kind of pre, you know, what, what was the uh, St. Francis of Assisi, right? Uh, where he said, uh, preach the gospel and use words if necessary, right? That's the, the famous line. And so we have a whole lot of Christians who are maybe stuck in that. And they don't know. Now, now they have a sphere of people um, full of questions that they don't have answers to, Cal, and um, who they've had this relationship with for a decade and they've never broached the subject. So, yeah. so what do you do with that guy? Oh, wow. What do you That's do with great, that guy? I'll give you 20 bucks after the interview. That, like, seriously, <laughs> there's, 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 I have a real example of this um, with someone in my life, just in case he, he listens to this, I'll be a little bit nebulous as to who this is, but this is a true story. Someone who had known I was a Christian for years, maybe five or six years, and the longer you wait, the harder it gets. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Ray Comfort says that. That's totally true. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, this guy has never heard the gospel from me. And he's a loved one, someone I've known a long time. And I started started coming under conviction because it created more distance, more, more attention between us. And the Holy Spirit really convicted me of a couple key things. Number one, he needs to hear about Jesus because if he dies and doesn't have the righteousness of Christ, he goes to hell. Yeah. But also I was demonstrating works righteousness unintentionally. Okay. Tease that out for yeah, me. Yeah. So until you share the grace of the cross, you're just showing someone how to be better than them. Because hmm. I was getting, in a sense, better off for sure. And I was growing in, in grace and growing in knowledge and being more loving. But if they don't hear how that happened, they just see me as someone who's just trying to be a better person than them. And I'm demonstrating a righteousness that is, that is in their eyes, my own. But it's really an alien righteousness. It, it's not my righteousness. That's, right. That's not the gospel. So I finally said, Lord... I got to talk to this person. What, what do I do? And look, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but I have taught this, this what, what I call the crazy Christian question. And this is really, really helpful for someone listening because we all have those relationships that are getting long in the tooth. They've never heard the gospel. So this person was at my house and I just asked them a very simple question. I said, so-and-so, you must think it's crazy that I'm a born-again Christian. And I phrased it just like that. What do you think he said? Well, yeah, it's kind of weird. He does think it's weird and he should yeah. think it's weird. Right. But then I just said, you know, if, if you were to shortlist to one main reason as to why I would do something like that, why, why do you think I'm a Christian? What's your one biggest reason? So it's fascinating because he starts to respond with things that were almost comical, but I'm hearing his heart right. as to why he thinks I'm a Christian. His first his first response was, well, you want your kids to be moral, right? Mm. I have grandkids and yeah. he has, these are, these are, these are, he has grandkids, right? And uh, so, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. You want your kids. Uh, well, yeah, but that's not the the main reason you like the music. You know, I'm a musician. Well, there's better music <laughs> elsewhere. No offense, pastor, but right. And, and five, six, what do you think he eventually says? Well, why are you a Christian? Hmm. So now he's asking me yep. why I'm a Christian. And, uh, and quite literally, I just went right to question three of the three eternal questions. Maybe we'll get to those here. Uh, what do you think happens after you die? Like, you ever think of that? And he said all the time. And we had an, an amazing conversation about the Lord. I shared the gospel. And this is sort of where the thing ended up. 
this person has looked after my children when I've been on, you know, itinerant uh, ministry uh, trips and things. And this person's not a believer, but they, they were so impacted by hearing the good news. They're reading the Bible now. They're not a Christian whatsoever, but they pray with my kids. I mean, theologically, that's just a train wreck for me. <laughs> but, but, na- but now they, they respect our decision to homeschool our kids. Now they at least can understand why we make decisions that are different than everyone else. And now they really have a, an openness to hear more. Interesting. Yeah. So I I think one of the things that might uh, cause people to not uh, follow your example is you're following the example of Paul, who's following the the example of Christ, Corey, (laughs) is because they would fear what questions would come next. And so I want to kick this over to Cal. Um, You know, you obviously have a heart for churches preaching the gospel and it's people preaching the gospel. And I think... I, if I was to nail down one, I think there's there's apathy, there's laziness, we live in an entertainment culture, it's easier to put on Netflix, all that kind of stuff is very true. But I think if I was to if I was to say why actual regenerate Christians do not share the gospel, I think it, it's number one is just fear. Fear of either losing the relationship or fear of being asked questions they don't know the answers to. Mm-hmm. So where would you direct somebody if that's their apprehension, if they're, if they're honest enough for themselves to get to that place? So I'm just afraid of the questions that are going to come. Right. What would you say to them? Well, I, 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 before I answer the question, I, I just want to back up a little bit here because, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about pastors and what pastors are doing and not doing and stuff like that. I, I just would like to say um, here that, I hope no one's taking the the position. Oh, we're just bashing pastors that aren't doing what we think they should be doing or, or, you know, they're, they're not godly enough. Like I have so much respect for the local church pastor and all that he's doing and he's doing what he can do. And with a culture that's collapsing and he's dealing with all the people in his church and the problems and all that kind of stuff. So when I've said a couple of these examples, I just want to back up here and let anybody listening know my heart. I, I'm not bashing any, anybody Absolutely. like that. Yeah. Yeah, well said. And I would totally concur with that because I, yeah. I am a pastor and I've been in those shoes and you are spinning so many plates at breakneck speed. So we're not suggesting pastors should be on every soapbox. That's not, that's not at all what we're saying, but uh, well yeah. said. Yeah, just because, <clears throat> you know, when you look at, okay, you're looking around and, and there's all these things and everything's urgent, okay? But in a big picture sense, I think you're right. Most people aren't sharing the gospel because of fear. Okay. So if someone were to ask me, well, Cal, what do you, what do you think churches should be doing? Okay. Well, if they're not sharing the gospel because of fear and they're worried about these questions that are going to come at them. And I think there's a double tier. There's, there's the social issues, which if you try to defend uh, biblically, you have to go to Genesis, then you're going to get the science questions. Right. So the first thing, if like if a, a pastor was to come to me and say, what, what do you think I should do? I would say you need apologetics training, you need evangelism equipping, and you need a replacement for what the public education system is putting out there. That's the three things I think you mm. need. And I think you need them in that order. Interesting. And the reason I'm, I'm saying that is because um, apologetics, I think a lot of people think like, oh, I'm going to learn all these apologetic arguments and I'm going to have all these arguments and answers so that I can go argue with people. That's not what apologetics, the bedrock of apologetics is for. As, as our good friend Joe Boo you know, said, apologetics is primarily for the church. Yeah. You see, if, you're, if you can't answer the questions that the, that the culture's uh, asking, your faith itself is weak, right? right. If, 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 if you're sitting there going, well, maybe God used evolution to create, and you don't recognize the fact that the next person you try to share the gospel with goes, oh, so you believe God used billions of years of death, suffering, and pain to create and called it very good? Uh, and, and, and so, you, you know, you, you have this weakness in your own ability to even understand the word of God and what the, the meta narrative of it is, you know, a good creation marred by sin because of Adam's rebellion. We were all in Adam when he fell. Um, the fact that Christ came to redeem only the descendants of Adam can be saved. We all come from two people. There aren't different races in the world. That's an evolutionary idea. There's only one race, the human race. Um, he's our kinsman redeemer. The fact that there's going to be a new creation of a new heavens and a new earth it's going to be restored to the way it was in the beginning no death no suffering no pain right that's the meta narrative of scripture if you don't understand that yourself personally Hmm. that's what apologetics is for i get the same questions from christians that i get from non-christians yeah but where did king get his wife and how do you explain the dinosaurs and what about carbon dating so the first thing 
that I believe a church should do is hold an apologetic seminar. Answers in Genesis, it's not just the science stuff, it's the worldview stuff as well that we deal with. Yeah. This, this comprehensive understanding about what the main issues that the world's bringing against, against um, you know, Scripture. From there, I think you need evangelism equipping. Because most Christians today, I think what Corey you know, says, and he's got way more experience than I do at it, but I would say that even many Christians in churches today, because it's not modeled, they haven't seen somebody share the gospel, even if they've loaded up a Ray Comfort video, and they're watching Ray, who's just a warrior, you know, sharing the gospel with some biker on a beach somewhere. They're looking at that going, I could never do that. Right. That's yeah. just intimidating, man. So that's why, you know, I love Corey's stuff. It's one-on-one personal evangelism, you know, that kind of stuff. But most Christians, even if you gave them a willing, non-hostile recipient, here's Joe. He just wants to hear the gospel. Uh, where do I start? Like, it, it, Right? Yeah. So... So that's why they need evangelism equipping so that it's normalized. I love the, the way Corey uses that word, normalize the sharing of the gospel. And the third thing you need is you need to replace or at least counter what the culture is bringing against educationally. So that's why I'm so excited about the Answers in Genesis ministry. You know, next year we're going to do um, a, a major conference and we're going to do what we call our Answers Expo. And at that expo, we're going to invite churches, pastors, all of their leaders, their youth pastors, their kids, men, people, all that stuff, and show them the scope of the ministry. So most people don't know Answers uh, in Genesis. We're one of the top three Bible curriculum providers on the planet. Our Answers Bible curriculum is used by over 10,000 churches. That's a Genesis to Revelation four-year chronological kindergarten to adult Bible curriculum. It's non-denominational. We're not going to step on anybody's toes there. You can insert your own distinctives. We've got an incredible VBS program where most VBS programs are basically people aren't doing them anymore. Ours is current every year, so relevant, et cetera. We do our answers boot camps here in Canada. So that's worldview training and evangelism training for young people ages 14 to to 18. Next year, we're going to hard launch uh, what we call our legacy project, which is where We've got relationships with many PhD and other accredited scientists, and we've got a, a boatload of young people that we know are going to transition into a university, and we want to actually match them up with a mentor, some that can help them walk through that. And of course, we've got Patricia Angler here now in Canada. You've had her on. She's the prototype for that whole thing. She was mentored through her university experience um, by Dr. Margaret Helder, who's yeah. a PhD a biologist. Um, We've got this evangelism cur- curriculum that, that Corey's bringing out now. There's so many things that the ministry brings to the table. So if you embed that thing into the superstructure, into the DNA of your church, so that apologetics isn't just like, oh, we've got a speaker coming this weekend from Answers in Genesis. Guys, the, the, the day of show up and blow up is over. <laughs> it's great if you, you, know, you get, a, get a speaker swing in and go, wow, that was a really good talk. But unless you can articulate that next week, unless yeah. your kids are, are, everybody's on the same page with this stuff, um, it, it, it very minimal effectiveness. And yeah. I think we really need to get busy and, and, and we just want to work with as many churches as we want to. So I am not, you know, standing over, you know, pastors are out there. Man, they got a way harder job than I do. You know, people come up, wow, Cal, that was a really good talk. Well, it should be because I've done it about 40 times this year, you know, whereas a pastor, boom, you know, Sunday morning, he's in, he's doing his sermon. Monday comes, you're back on your knees, you're praying, you're in the word of God. You've got to get another sermon together for, for your, you know, your sheep that week. I mean, it, it, it's tough. And, And how many pastors, you know, think of Corey, um, and we, we just were doing an interview before this one. And reminding, you know, when you were in seminary and some of the things that you were getting taught in seminary, I mean, if, if. If I'd never been in your life and handed you uh, Ken Ham's, you know, DVD set, where would you be? Absolutely. You'd be yeah. where most people were. That You just never even got those concepts or never. How much apologetics training? I, I've never asked you this question. How much apologetics training did they teach you in Bible college? Very little. I mean, I don't even know if there's a course called that. There was probably a bit, some, some intimate, intimated things about biblical authority, which was kind of nebulous. Mm-hmm. I had a couple Josh McDowell books, I think, uh, more than a carpenter. We've all read that one. Yeah. But in terms of just, just a systematic approach to apologetics, nothing. Right. So you would have been in the same place that most pastors would be. You'd be another person, but somebody walked up and said, Hey, what about dinosaurs? How do they fit in the Bible? Well, depending on what resources or who, you know, what, what, what how would you answer? You'd be in the same boat yeah. most people are in. So, so yeah. no joke. I, I watched a, uh, um, I won't, I, I'll make this a very vague story so that I'm not, uh, 
making anybody feel bad, but uh, I, I watched a pastor who was asked this question, was asked about dinosaurs. And not a word of a lie, the, the pastor looked at the young person who asked the question. He says, God put those there to test your faith. <laughs> that was his answer. And yeah. I just thought, oh, wow. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there's, there's a young person who's growing up in the church, and I don't know the condition of their heart, but now all they know is that they can't get straight answers to their questions mm. in church. Right. And I, I, I think Cal and I are both very hesitant to oversimplify the problem. I mean, there, there are so many uh, contours to this discussion, Nate, in terms of what's going on. Like, I, I don't I think pastors are so busy and they've got so much to do. And, um, you know, they're, they're running in so many different directions. I, I don't know as a pastor myself if I ever really sort of painted the consistent picture of if this, then that, if this, then this, if this, then this, I believe if we back up the truck and this is the, this is the big picture statement, then I'll kind of unpack it. I believe the health of your missions starts with the health of your marriages. I think that's totally true. I think that if we infiltrate a society, we plant churches and people come to faith in Christ, then the, 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 the fundamental institution or, or building block is family, right? We want biblical family because biblical family make biblical churches, make biblical cultures and Yep. But I'm just not sure that that the pastor is is ever gets a chance to take sort of a step off of that treadmill and say, well, wait a second, because I don't know the answer to the question about dinosaurs. Does that compromise family in any way? Hmm. Of course it does, because the kids are the ones getting exposed to the alternate view because i'll promise you the seculars can answer the question oh yeah they got answers, right they've got answers with textbooks <laughs> and so I, I i totally agree with cal if it wasn't made clear i apologize as a pastor myself the reason i've sort of stepped out of the uh the pastoral season into the evangelistic one is to help pastors and to serve pastors and serve churches but i just don't know if anyone ever painted a consistent picture for me i'm deeply thankful they did because now we're going after a consistent christianity because conversely in as much as the culture is being consistent and it's terrifying when christians are consistent it's glorifying to god because that means they're not hypocrites so we want consistent christian living we all do we all want the same thing pastors want the same thing and christian dads want the same thing i just i just had to be taught a lot of things as to what that looks like in real life yeah so would you guys both say, because, um, you know, we, this podcast exists to equip Christians to engage culture with the biblical worldview. And so we, we try to help the Christians who are, are, are trying to use their social media in a way that glorifies God, um, helping to, you know, raise their kids in a way that glorifies God. And, you know, a lot of them who are involved in abortion ministries and all these kinds of things. So we've kind of taken a step back from some of the social issues that got us into this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'd just be interested to see. So in, in my experience, more, the more often than not, when I'm having a conversation about faith with a non-Christian, um, the stumbling block now, and, and, and I, I absolutely agree, it'll come back to a lot of the evolutionary stuff, a lot of the uh, things but a lot of times it just comes straight to social issues, right? We live in a culture where the, you know, and, you know, I, I was sitting there thinking as you were talking about everything that Answers in Genesis is doing, Cal, and I was thinking to myself, what I wanted to say right after that is, you know, you guys are so comprehensive with everything that you're doing. And there might be some people that goes, whoa, that's like a lot of stuff that they're doing. I guarantee you that that um, the world is, is you know... When I was a youth pastor, I remember Volcom is a uh, telecommunications company mm-hmm. in the States that owns like Nickelodeon and Nick Jr. and, and all these kinds of places. And they rolled out something that uh, that uh, kind of the phrase ca- caught on. It was the cradle the grave program, uh-huh. right? Like how do they get, you know, your toddlers to start watching, you know, things on, you know, the cartoon network and how do they get you so that their advertising at that age is going to dictate what the kids watch two years down the road mm-hmm. and what toys they want for Christmas and all that kind of stuff right through. And so like, if, if we think that, you know, church ministries are being a little too comprehensive or, Oh, that's a lot of stuff. And wow, that's, um, the they world, have a plan. the world, yeah, the world has a, a wonderful plan for your children, according to them. And, uh, and they're looking forward to uh, having them from the cradle of the grave. So we need to be just as intentional. Well, throughout history, and this is, is an amazing thing to me when I think of, uh, you know, people say Darwinian evolution, they're thinking of Charles Darwin. Erasmus Darwin was part of the, part of the lunar society. And he'd written a book called Zoonomia, which outlined the story of evolution. Most people don't even understand that Darwin didn't outline the story. He grew up with it because his great-grandfather had actually already written a book on it. So 
And huh. this, this lunar society, it was a group of atheists and they would come together, very powerful, influential atheists, and they would plan and they would strategize and they would get together. And, and I, I think sometimes about the Christian world and, you know, you think of the fractioning uh, of, of the Christian world, you know, denominationally or, you know, in, in whatever way I've seen over the years where we would organize a uh, a conference at a specific church, a specific denomination. I've actually had a pastor phone me up and say, hey, love your ministry, love what you do. We won't be attending your conference because you're holding it at XYZ Church. <laughs> and I'm thinking, so you're going to get XYZ denominational cooties as soon as you cross the right. threshold because we're happen to be like, we're not, we're not, you know, and, and, and it goes back to, you know, the Christian trolling on, on social media and all this kind of stuff. Why are we spending all this time and effort in these, you, you, you know, you've ever seen the castle diagrams that Ken Ham uses? Yeah. You know, the word of man, the castle, you know, and the, the authority of the word of God and how, you know, in, in, in the, the, the Christian uh, castle diagram. You got one guy shooting off into the distance. Yep. Lots of noise, yeah. lots of, you know, fluff and stuff and all this stuff, but you're not actually dealing with the issues. So again, back to apologetics, evangelism, equipping, replace what the, the culture is putting out there as far as education and, 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 and embed that into the DNA of your church, whatever that looks like. Um, and then, you know, that's why we're doing this answers expo and we're going to invite all these Christian leaders because we want them to at least see, are they going to take up everything in the church? No, but maybe you start with one bit here or one yeah. bit there, or, you know, where's you, the highest need and, and kind of work your way from there. Absolutely. And but, I think, and I think anybody listening, uh, and I'll give you guys a chance as we wrap up here to kind of uh, point people in the right direction if they want to, uh, see more, hear more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people, will see the benefit. I remember uh, my first my first encounter with sort of Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis was I was just looking for a uh, curriculum. I was a new youth pastor. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And uh, and I found, it, I think it was just called Biblical Worldview or Worldview, something or other. It had like a comic book that came with it. And it had like, <laughs> yeah. you, you ever it see that one? It was a teen pack, yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go. Still, yeah. And, uh, and I used that with my junior high. Right. And it was so good, and I think it was marketed for like junior high, and it was so good that I used it with the senior high as well. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of got me. And then when I when somebody would come and ask me the the where did Cain get his wife question, I'm like <laughs> AnswersInGenesis.com, and and yeah. I really grew under the apologetics ministry of Answers in Genesis, and it and it happened because I just providentially picked up you know this curriculum right amongst all these others. So I think once people see. Um, how comprehensive it is. And, and one thing that you have both been saying that I think is so, so important is the, the word comprehension or the, the narrative, right? And I think that's one of the things that we've lost. And, and even so, it, we, all, we started, I like trying to do this full circle thing, uh, we started talking about um, this nativity set, right? That's mm-hmm. talking about immigration. I think if anybody knows the story of the, of the incarnation, it has nothing to do with immigration. It has nothing to do <laughs> exactly. with immigration, right? Yeah. Not only was not only was Bethlehem and Nazareth both in Israel, and not only was the even the flight to Egypt was all under the Roman Empire, um, but but apart from those details, it had to do with God stepping into the world that He had created, mm-hmm. right? And I think one of the the reasons Christians get caught up in that kind of silliness, and one of the reasons that Christians can't answer the questions that come our way, is because we've lost the story. And, and some Christians might be able to articulate the idea that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. Um, but in terms of explaining the narrative, right, garden to garden city, people have just lost the narrative. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things I appreciate about both of you and both of your ministries as a result of your passion for it is just your passion for the entire story of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And I completely agree with you that it, you know, everything you need to know gets set up in the first 11 chapters of Genesis um, but this whole story unfolding in history is is really what the gospel is. And we've lost that big picture perspective. That's why, I, and I'll hand this right over to Corey after this, but because he's embedded this into his evangelism curriculum. You know, that's why things like the seven C's of history that Answers in Genesis teaches. It's so easy to teach that to a child, right? Seven C's, creation, corruption because of Adam's fall, you know, good creation, fallen because of sin, uh, catastrophe at the, at the, you know, Noah's flood. That's where we get all the billions of dead things buried in rock layers, etc. right? Confusion at the Tower of Babel. We're all one race. There's one blood, one race where there's not different races. That's where the different people groups came from. Uh, Christ in the manger, right? The, the, the Christ child. And then the cross and then the consummation of all things. Those, that's the seven seas. That's the biblical history. Boom. I, I, 
You know, I used that when I was sharing the gospel with a guy on a plane three weeks ago, coming back from Montreal. So easy to just go. I asked the guy, he was a Buddhist. I said, uh, is this the first time you've talked to a Christian about what we believe and what the Bible says? Yeah. Well, let me tell you biblical history. Wham, seven C's. I mean, when Corey comes and does, you know, conferences and stuff, I've heard his, his stuff, but I'm sitting in the audience as he's teaching going, yeah, that's just really good stuff. You know, and he's yeah. constantly feeding, feeding ideas and stuff like that, that I'm using practically. If you don't know the cross current ministry, I encourage people to, to get to some of his stuff because it's, it's practical. But what stuff. Cal said to <clears throat> Nate, and I know we got to wrap up soon is he's talked about when he was sharing his faith on the airplane. That wasn't a soapbox. That, that, <laughs> it wasn't street ministry. He's sitting on an airplane. There's a guy sitting beside him. Do you think he's there for a reason? He's there to hear the gospel. That's why he's there. And and I just can't say this strongly enough. You know, if you were to picture uh, the church and the Christian life as baking a cake, and you start mixing ingredients in, into this cake, and, and those ingredients are fellowship and worship and even apologetics, how would the cake turn out without flour? And flour gives cake life and lift. Cakes void of flour, though you can make them, are they're, they're, they're void of they're, they're void of life and lift. That really is witness. That's evangelism. All of this makes sense when you start sharing your faith. The whole backdrop of the New Testament, as Paul writes about marriage, he writes about preaching, he writes about doctrine. The backdrop is, hey, everyone, we're still here to be a witness. We're still here to bring God glory. So all those social issues, all of this conversation about apologetics, what activates all those things, where those things converge and come to life is when you open your mouth and preach Christ as Lord is when you open your mouth and preach Christ as Lord. That's that's when everything makes sense in the Christian life. But so many Christians, they're trying to assemble this mo- these mosaic pieces, but the glue that holds it all together is when you share Jesus. And until you do that, nothing makes sense. That's awesome. That's a that's a great place to to leave it. We uh um I you know, we we like to say a lot on this program that, you know, we're given you know, Adam and Eve failed at their their one task, right? They're created in a world of yes with one no, and they went for the no. Um, Jesus gave us one set of marching orders. And you know what? It matters what you believe about various theological things. It matters what you believe about what's going on in the culture. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the only marching orders that we were given is go make disciples, right? That, right. that has to teach them obedience. That's, that's the whole thing. And if everything can't be filtered through that lens, then we're not, we're not fulfilling we're not fulfilling our marching Amen. orders, right? Um, okay, so that was that was great. Thank you guys so much for being here. I want to give you guys the last word. So why don't we start in reverse order this way? Corey, you go first, and then uh, and then over to Cal. Where can people? You guys have talked a lot, cross current and answers in Genesis. Where can people go to look at some of the curriculum to talk about getting you into the churches? Just just sell yourselves for for a couple minutes here as we close. Yeah, for sure. So so the cross current ministry obviously frontline is to equip uh, average Christians of all ages to simply open scripture and biblical conversations. So we have biblical conversations uh, curriculum that will equip folks to uh, to share Jesus with family and friends, and we do start there. Uh, if people are burdened beyond and they want to go a step further into the culture, we can certainly equip people with community outreach teams. We call those go teams and all those things. But at a leadership level, my personal heart and passion uh, is to is to mentor evangelists in their own local churches to actually multiply ministry. We always say we can add laborers through training on a Saturday, and that's wonderful, but you multiply ministry through leadership. And so, um, so we talk with leaders about gospel health. What are the critical categories that contribute to gospel healthy churches? So this is much, much, much bigger than just uh, just uh, evangelism. Though evangelism is the obviously the the point of worship when we uh, would declare Christ as King, um, but this is much more about uh, our church and church wide witness. How do we equip the saints for the work of the ministry together for the building up of the body of Christ? So to get in touch with us, thecrosscurrent.com is our uh, sort of our flagship website. Uh, on Facebook, uh, it's slash keeping the cross current. That's the most sort of uh, steady state way to to engage our ministry uh, with updates and such and uh, but other than that uh, we would love to talk with leaders and their churches about uh, really really helping them move the needle on church-wide witness awesome go ahead cal yeah, well, for instance, in Genesis Canada, we have two main mechanisms for equipping the church. One would be events, 
And that's primarily where people get introduced to the ministry. And then they also get introduced to our resources. And the resources are vast and they're very comprehensive, as we were talking about earlier. So for uh, for people here in Canada, if you go to answersingenesis.org or answersingenesis.ca, uh, the website will recognize you're, you're coming from Canada. So if you go to events or you go to um, the, the store, it'll recognize that. It'll, it'll have all things in Canadian prices. We have a warehouse here in Canada. We've got, you know, uh, people were very excited when Answers in Genesis Canada launched because they were like great and over the border shipping and all that good stuff so um, they can access all of our resources through there and the, the types of events we do, um, you know, I'll go speak on a, on a Sunday morning or midweek or something like that. And Patricia Engler, of course, she's available for uh, kids and youth and young adults and women's conferences, that type of stuff as well. She's an incredible speaker. Um, and But primarily what we do is conferences. And we do conferences for churches that want to, you know, just equip th- that particular body I- itself, right? Or we will do uh, like conferences for whole communities and that's what we're going to do next year that'll be our big uh, uh, flagship uh, conference in uh, in kitchener waterloo at bingham's park over the long weekend ken ham was going to come up for that and uh, awesome. he wasn't able to come we just had our mega conference in niagara Unfortunately, Ken's mom uh, grew very ill and he had to travel to Australia, so he wasn't able to. So we know there were a lot of people that were disappointed, um, but they were very gracious. And uh, we only had four people cancel, which is amazing. And another 30 people joined up. So it was great. But anyway, he'll come up and, uh, you know, finally get a chance to present in this area and people will be able to do that. So that's primarily what we do. It's like, here's the message of the ministry, which is the authority of the word of God. That's what the ministry is about. It's not arguing about the age of the earth and dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff. It's standing on the authority of the word of God so that then you can mount a proper proclamation of the gospel and a defense of the gospel and answer the questions that the culture's uh, bringing on. Awesome. So we'll put uh, those websites and those resources in the show notes. Uh, Thanks, guys, so much for being here. And uh, everybody uh, stay tuned and follow those ministries. And uh, we we pray that this has been uh, helpful to you, convicting to you, and challenging to you. And uh, may, may God be glorified. Thanks, Pete Nate. Thanks, man. Amen.